Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens with the good, the bad, and the TV here on the Believe Podcast Network. It's the number one podcast network for professionals. Subscribe to us, rate us, love us, believe in us. Hey, now let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1972. A year of change in a decade of change. It's the year that Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American congresswoman, announces her candidacy for president of the United States. The year that Bob Douglas becomes the first African-American elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. The year that the FBI hires its first female agents. And the year that the Boston Marathon officially allows women to compete. In 1972, President Richard Nixon orders the development of a space shuttle program. The first scientific handheld calculator is introduced, HP 35, with the price of $395. The Magnavox Odyssey video game system is demonstrated for the first time. And competitor Atari ushers in the first generation of video games with the release of their wildly successful arcade version of Pong. By the way, Magnavox sues. Elsewhere in 1972, Hurricane Agnes kills 117 people as it tears up the East Coast. The state heaviest hit? My home state of Pennsylvania. So ferocious and historic is Hurricane Agnes that in 1973, the name Agnes is retired, never again to be used in the Atlantic hurricane books. The Supreme Court of the United States rules in 1972 that capital punishment is unconstitutional. Jane Fonda tours North Vietnam, posing for the Hanoi Jane photo that will come to define her for the rest of her life. John Voidovich age 27, and Sal Natural, 18, hold the employees of a Brooklyn Chase Manhattan Bank hostage for 17 hours in 1972. It's a real-life drama that becomes a big screen one three years later, called Dog Day Afternoon. Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Roberto Clemente collects his 3,000th career-based hit, which becomes a final one as well, on a humanitarian mission three months later. On New Year's Eve, he's killed in a plane crash. He's just 38. Jackie Robinson, he's Major League Baseball's first black player. He dies of a heart attack at home in Connecticut. He's just 53. The previous year, he loses eldest son Jackie Jr. in a car crash. The first daytime episode of the second incarnation of The Price is Right is taped in my former CBS television city home. The Joy of Sex by Alexander Comfort is published, penetrating the bestseller list with stiff sales. And yes, it's his real name. And U.S. Senator Thomas Eagleton, the Democratic vice presidential nominee to George McGovern, is forced to withdraw from the race after revealing he once sought mental health treatment, known today simply as depression. A farewell letter that he writes before he dies years later in 2007 says that his dying wishes are for people to, quote, go forth in love and peace, be kind to dogs, and vote Democratic. 
end quote. In 1972, a year of change and a decade of change, two unrelated but ultimately connected things happen. East Lansing, Michigan becomes the first city in the United States to ban discrimination against homosexuals in housing, public accommodation, and employment. And at the Democratic National Convention, delegates Jim Foster and Madeline Davis become the first openly gay people to address a major U.S. political party's every four years convocation. Three years after the Stonewall Uprising, there's a gay rights movement afoot. And with that as a backdrop, a 90-minute movie airs on ABC that becomes a big part of it, becoming a small screen landmark in the process. In her New York Times review, Marilyn Beck calls it one of the finest pieces of drama you'll see this year on large or small screen. Charles Champlin of the Los Angeles Times says, it's the best movie for TV I have yet seen, a film which would do honor to any size screen. TV Guide calls it evidence that television grows up, and New York Magazine hails it as a giant step for television. The giant step is called That Certain Summer. Giant because for the first time in TV history, the movie depicts a long-term romantic relationship between two adult men. This at a time when homosexuality is still classified in psychiatric manuals as a mental disorder. Written by Richard Levinson and William Link, That Certain Summer tells the story of a long-divorced man in his 40s, played by Hal Holbrook, living with a longtime life partner, played by Martin Sheen, who's suddenly faced with having to explain his post-married gay life for the first time to his visiting 14-year-old son, who, even though the father's partner has temporarily moved out for the summer's visit, finds evidence of the relationship and then runs away in confusion, shame, and disgust. A parent-child discussion of sex is one thing in a family dynamic. When it's the parent discussing his own sex life, explaining it, nearly apologizing for it, that's another thing entirely. That certain summer explores this certain issue with care, offering a frank and fair examination of love and sexuality for 1972. So frank, that it almost never gets made. Even as All in the Family and Maud and a handful of other TV efforts have shown up to shake up primetime norms in the early 1970s, TV in 1972 is still largely the home of weekly family viewing of Gunsmoke and Lucy and the wonderful world of Disney, or the Partridge Family and the Brady Bunch for that matter, which air on the same network of ABC that puts that certain summer into production but not without concern. Writer-producers Levinson and Link first pitch it to NBC, where their Columbo series is a sizable hit and where the team has a production deal in place. But NBC declines. According to notes from the Paley Center for Media, NBC, quote, had no intention of okaying a movie in which homosexuality was treated as fact of life, one explored with sympathy and understanding, end quote. Fortunately, an executive named Barry Diller, who oversees rival ABC's TV movie division, reads and is interested in the script. He greenlights the project for his network. Side note, in 1972, ABC is in the vanguard of the exploding TV movie genre, 
which is coming to tackle all manner of taboo, or at least previously rejected subject matters. ABC's commercial sponsors are nervous, however, with the pickup. So what can only be described as an opposing point of view on the issue of homosexuality is written into the script to placate them. In much the same way that the infamous abortion episode of CBS's hit comedy Maud, airing the same month as that certain summer, in fact, adds in what can be seen as an anti-abortion or at least pro-family point of view. The mollifying words come in an aching scene after the runaway son returns, which finds the Holbrook character trying to explain his life choices to the degree he even can to his son, played by gifted young actor Scott Jacoby. The irony being that the additional language created to include an opposing point of view seems only to make the pain father all the more sympathetic and relatable. Hal Holbrook says it better. But here's the passage, quote, a lot of people, most people, I guess, think it's wrong. They say it's a sickness. They say it's something that has to be cured. I don't know. I do know it isn't easy. If I had a choice, it's not something I'd pick for myself, but it's the only way I can live. Does that change me so much? I'm still your father. I've lied to myself for a long time. Why should I lie to you? It's funny, I'd never talked about this with my own father. I should have. He knew. At least, I think he knew. But we could never sit down, even approach it. And he died. I know how you feel. You may not believe that, but I do. Nick, the hardest time I've ever had was accepting it myself. Can you at least try to understand? Please? End quote. Amazingly, according to notes on the Paley Center site, ABC's Standards and Practices Department tries to get the writers to remove a declaration made in the film by Holbrook that he and his partner love each other. But Levinson and Link, creatives with clout, fight back. The line stays in. Hal Holbrook at first turns down the role in that certain summer, later explaining that he changes his mind when another look at the script reveals its universal truth of a man suffering pain and loss. He says that his experience with his 1960s divorce helps to understand his character and helps to inform his performance. Co-star Martin Sheen, a prolific guest actor on episodic TV in the early 1970s, well on his way to leading man status, both in primetime and in soon-to-be-made films like Badlands and Apocalypse Now. He himself later recalls that when he accepts the role of the 15 years younger lover in that certain summer, many of those around him fear it'll damage his career. He tells the Dallas Voice in 2007, quote, I'd robbed banks and kidnapped children and raped women and murdered people, you know, in any number of shows. Now I was going to play a gay guy, and that was like considered a career ender? Oh, for Christ's sake, what kind of culture do we live in? End quote. Not so fun fact, late 1960s Oscar winner Cliff Robertson rejects outright the lead role that goes to Holbrook when he's offered it first. According to writer Link on the METV Legends website, Robertson says he'd sooner play Hitler. That certain summer explores three relationships, father-son, 
partner to partner, ex-spouses. Hope Lang co-stars as Holbrook's former wife. If it does so with care, it does so also with a level of sadness. In the end, each of the relationships has changed, not necessarily for the better. Holbrook and Sheen's relationship comes to an end, in fact. But this is TV melodrama, especially in 1972. It'll take many, many years and many, many more projects before gay characters are allowed to be happy on TV, and still more before they can just plain be, regardless of sexuality. But that the movie airs is still worth celebrating and remembering. It's a small miracle. Though it's important to point out that the movie doesn't air everywhere this November night in 1972. Fearing viewer backlash, some ABC stations refuse to run it at all. Point of trivia. That certain summer airs on a Wednesday from 8.30 to 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific times. The half-hour 8 p.m. show that serves as its lead-in, The Paul Lynn Show. A sitcom headlined by the hiding in plain sight, never talked about, campy gay comedic actor Paul Lind, who dies in 1982, never coming out. The 10 p.m. show that follows it right after the movie, The Julie Andrews Hour, starring the gay icon of Broadway and Mary Poppins, all of which likely makes November 1st, 1972, one way or another, the gayest night in the history of ABC television. Whatever its impediments getting to air, that certain summer is hailed by critics when it does. It goes on to win a Golden Globe Award as the year's best TV movie, as well as the prestigious Directors Guild Award for director Lamont Johnson. It's also nominated for seven 1973 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Single Program of the Year and Outstanding Writing for a Drama. Scott Jacoby, the actor in the pivotal role as the troubled, confused teenage son, he wins Best Supporting Actor in a Drama. Generations go by, and that certain summer remains lauded and remembered, appreciated. One of many 1970s projects credited with moving the needle on a significant social issue. Real life in service of real life. In 2014, it's celebrated by the Paley Center for Media, which offers this observation. Quote, Over the years, many have spoken of the program as a life-changing one, meaning that television had done its job, educating and enlightening a select few and giving others a little bit of hope. End quote. Can you at least try to understand a father asks a son? It's a concept and a question worth holding on to. you got to believe. Hey, send us some questions and feedback and suggestions on Twitter at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com. That's also where you can get some information on advertising on any Believe show, but especially mine. Find and download us, subscribe to us, just plain listen to a drop each Thursday on Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Google Play. Like the show all over your social media, too, if you're so inclined. I'm Jim McCarrens. We'll talk again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.